Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Kelly Hogaboom to discuss both the TV and film versions of the Twilight Zone tale Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. I'd like to apologise for the sound quality on this episode and also the upcoming 38. We had an initial problem with a time delay after about five minutes, so we had to halt that one. And when we came back to have another try, the software was misbehaving and it had stuck itself at a very low bit rate. So after about five minutes into this, you're going to notice there's a noticeable drop in quality. Um, Sorry about that. Um, I'm blaming the gremlins. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... Dying times here. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Eric. Right, uh, fingers crossed. We've had a few techni- <laughs> we've had a few technical glitches uh, setting this up, so hopefully we can go through this. Uh, first question for you, uh, Kelly. Twilight Zone, right? Uh, right. Uh, f- TV or film? Which one came first for you? Oh my gosh, um, I have seen. I have only seen. Um, half of the films and I've only seen about three or four episodes of the TV. So I'm not a big twilight zone fan, although my husband is right. What do you mean by you only seen half of the film? Well, I watched uh, um, the second half of the film in prep for this podcast. And I was kind of dismayed because, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, um, horror anthologies. Uh, I like a few of them, but I, they're often a miss for me. Mm. And I, you know, this one wasn't, it didn't grab me too much. Although there are so many in jokes about the two Twilight Zones we're going to discuss that it's almost worth it for that alone. Okay. There's been so many references and meta references. All right. And as you know, I grew, I didn't grow up with TV, so I wouldn't have seen, you know, the original Twilight. You know, my exposure is going to be limited to Twilight Zone. Yeah, I mean, like a bit like you. I mean, you, you know, I did have TV as I was growing up, but I, I, I've never looked into it. But I don't think Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits were really shown over here in the UK, uh, you, you know, during primetime TV. If they were on, they were on late at night. So I didn't know of them. I, I knew of them from all those books that came out in the 70s. You know, there were tons of photos from them. Um, but I didn't actually get to see them until the video and the DVD age, you know. Right. And did you have a like a British equivalent to these kind of um, like Outer Limits? Because I'm very familiar with the concept of Outer Limits and Twilight Zone. They're they're huge over here. Yeah, the nearest thing we had to it in the UK that I can think of off the top of my head uh, was uh, a thing called Tales of the Unexpected. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't know that. That doesn't even sound that scary. No, <laughs> like, it, oh, it's unexpected. It, <laughs> I tell you what, um, you, you, you know, they, that, they, they could be quite grim. They were fronted by Ruel Dahl, you know, Charlie oh, and the Chocolate okay. Factory and everything. Yeah, he, that he, is dark. Yeah, he was the host. <laughs> he, he, he was basically like the Rod Sterling um, uh, character who introduced each one. And they were quite macabre, you know, you know, short uh self-contained little stories uh, of an hour usually quite okay. grim and quite you know yeah yeah they could be quite nasty sometimes but they weren't science fiction they were more okay. psychological horror you know okay. uh, or thrillers um but no we, we we didn't have anything like this over here and as i say i i knew of twilight zone from all the photos um i knew the tv i i i, I saw the film version before i saw the tv version uh, but we'll talk about the film version uh, shortly. Um, but the um, this one, the nightmare uh, at twenty thousand feet, I knew this because um, the photos always, invariably, in, in in the books about Twilight Zone, you always had a photo of William Shatner, and it was always the classic photo of William Shatner holding his head 
which he, he tends to do right. an awful lot in, in, in this episode, with the creature, with the gremlin standing, frowning right next to him. So I knew that, you know. Right. And like um, rewatching this, the both, you know, this one and the remake, I had remembered the ending totally differently. I'd remembered the ending much darker than what actually happens. And I, this is, it's funny you picked this episode because this is definitely the one I'm most familiar with in the whole Twilight Zone canon. Mm. And maybe that's just true. Maybe this is the one of the most famous episodes. I think, I I think, again, I don't know, but I think the two top stories in in twilight zone it, it it's this one and the one with burgess meredith the man who's l- like the last man on earth and he loves to read have you ever seen that one no i haven't seen that one. yeah he loves uh, to read and then one day he smashes his glasses and he can't uh-oh. see anything anymore you know <laughs> well and i remembered it's a good life which i think is also um That's featured in the, in the re- yeah in the remake movie and then i think the monsters are, are doing maple street and then um, I'm, I just remember imagery from a couple of them, but not the actual. Oh, the one you're talking about is time al- time enough at last, I think. Right. With the, yeah, no, well, yeah. So I'm I'm obviously not that familiar, but um, you know, the kid that wishes the guy into the um, you know, he can make make things happen with his mind. Yeah, you know, that's a yeah. pretty spooky premise, and that that's been lampooned many times, including on The Simpsons, and yeah. this one was lampooned on The Simpsons as well. It's been lampooned everywhere. You know, we'll get onto that in behind the scenes. But uh, no, I mean, you know, if you're talking about imagery and you, you know, photos in books, I, I was drawn more to the Outer Limits because the Outer Limits, of course had much more in the way of robots and monsters than Twilight Zone, didn't it? Yeah, so you're more of a sci-fi guy. Yeah, I mean, that's what I grew up with. Um, you know, gotcha. Yeah, if, if you're talking about uh, melodramas and dramatic things, yeah, there was stuff like that, you know, you, you know, on all the American cop shows, you know, the Kojaks and Columbos and stuff like that. I could get that from that. But if I, if I, if I wanted to watch something science fiction-y, you know, the young me would be far more drawn to anything that had spaceships or or bad guy aliens, you know? Yeah, so um, I was trying to think since we last talked, and I guess today's most popular version of that kind of thing would be Black Mirror. Have you been watching that? No, 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 no. I, 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 I don't watch much modern television now. I mean, we, we don't, uh. we, you know, we don't have it. We don't have Netflix. We don't have um, satellite TV or anything like that. We just have terrestrial digital television, and that gives you like, you know, a hundred channels, but. Uh, I tend to just watch the old shows that are on them, you know? Yeah, yeah, well, it's hard to get. There's so much good TV out there and so much good sci-fi TV out there. It would be hard to get to all of it in any case. I know, and then you get caught uh, caught up in this spiral of trying to desperately keep up with stuff, and then you miss out, and then you're trying to watch four programs a week at the same time. You just don't have enough uh, time, do you, you know? Yeah, and I, I end up bailing out of stuff if, if by the first episode or two, if it's not grabbing me, I have to bail because there's just too many choices. So there's a lot of shows that are probably okay, but I just, they didn't grab me, so I, I moved on. Yeah, and so, I, um, I, I like to watch a show from the beginning. I don't like coming halfway in, you know, yeah. or anything like that. Especially I mean, if, it's, if it's sci-fi, you've got to watch it from the beginning, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, what we're going to do is we'll do what we did with the mummy episode, which is we've got two two subjects here. And what we'll do is we'll discuss them separately um, and then we'll do behind the scenes separately and we'll rate rate, rate them separately as well. Okay. Okay. So, okay. uh, We're going to do the TV version first. So here we go with the clip. of water. Surely. Is something wrong? No, I, I thought I saw something out there. What? Nothing. 
Right, so we've got William Shanter here, um, three years before Star Trek. Right. Um, but he's already no stranger to fantasy. I mean, he's been on Twilight Zone here. He's also been in The Outer Limits. So I, I, I guess when the Star Trek gig came along, um, you know, it, it wasn't a stretch for him to uh, dip his toe back into that. No, and I would you say this is the first time that American audiences really got an eyeful of Shatner? Like, is this what kind of put him on the map? No, I, I didn't check, but I know he's in he's in an Outer Limits one where he's uh have you ever seen it? He he's a pilot that's been to Venus. I, th- I think it's called Cold Hands, Warm Heart. It's no, a, I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, you should see that. It's got a very bizarre alien in the dream sequences. And oh, yeah, yeah, he's right. gone off to Venus and he comes back and he's freezing cold and uh, he just can't get warm. And I'm I'm not sure if it was before or after this episode, but uh, yeah, it could be that, that this was their first exposure to him. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, he's, I mean, he does so great in this episode. I was, my husband watched it with me this morning, and I said, you know, Shatner has a reputation for being a hammy actor, but he's really good in this. I mean, he's just awesome. Mm. Um, when we did the, um, the our first Star Trek episode of, of the podcast, you know, we were saying in that, you know, he he, he was blooming good. He not, None of the, you know, the things that he's rather infamous for now, none of those mannerisms or going over the top. Um, that, that they're not there at the start, are they? No, and like in this particular episode, I think it's just note perfect because it is a little bit uh, hammy and dramatic, but exactly what you'd expect from like a television drama. It's perfect. Yeah, you say hammy and dramatic, and uh, <laughs> you could say it about the premise. I love the fa- fact that he, he plays this guy. He's just been discharged from a sanatorium after six months, after having a nervous breakdown, which took place on a plane, just like this, right. in a thunderstorm, just like this. Right. And, and this is the time they decide to take him home. Put him on the train during the day. That's, you know? that's exactly what I was thinking of. And then, of course, his wife is like, well, you'll be fine. I'm going to take a sleeping pill and take a nap. I was like, she, oh, my God. She takes a sleeping pill, has a nap. She also puts him by the window. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Why didn't she take yeah. the window seat? For goodness sake! Actually, that would have solved every problem in this story. Is like switch seats with her. You know that was, but you know they can't do that, or we wouldn't have an episode. So, <laughs> or or him not be next to the emergency exit as well. Oh yes, seat. <laughs> right. Any other seat, and he would have been fine. But there you go. There you go. Um, I I love watching these early TV shows. I, I they're so quaint now. When you look back on them, and you you know you. You have prop planes. You have planes that have little curtains over the mm-hmm. windows. It's, it's so sweet to look back on it all now, you know. And everybody's, you know, she he starts to light a cigarette, mm. and she says, you know, don't smoke that out now. Wait till the plane takes off. And you know, I'm 40 years old, but I've never been on a plane where you could smoke. That that is, I can't even imagine. That's not something I've experienced. But like, it's like, oh, wait, wait till you're in the air, you know. I know. I, I, I on a similar note, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of you know uh, British comedy of like the 50s and 60s, and you see some of the. Uh, uh, um, you know, films that are set in the hospitals, and you've got people sat up in bed smoking, and the doctor right. comes along uh, to talk to them, and he's smoking as well. <laughs> and I don't know, did you see the Saturday Night Live that lampooned this exact episode of yeah. Twilight Zone? Yeah, yeah, because they they make a joke about that. Everyone on the plane is smoking. Even the creature on the wing of the plane is smoking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember, um, you know, I, did, I didn't uh, fly until I was late in my late teens, and I don't remember anyone smoking in there. But I do remember when I started at the cinema, this seems odd now as well, that uh, uh, you had smoking and non-smoking sections of the auditorium. Oh, jeez. <laughs> which was just painfully ridiculous because, you know, the extract all was in the same place. So it didn't yeah. matter whether you were in smoking or non-smoking. Everybody got the smoke. Right, just know. how much, you know, like horrible amounts or just like a little bit, you know. Yeah, and, and you would get that cliche thing. You see it in old films where, you know, you're looking up towards the back of the auditorium and you've got the projector light coming out of the projection box mm-hmm. and it's caught in a beam of smoke. I mean, that's how they were. You know? Yeah, yeah. So he smoke. So he he can't smoke. So in you know, in both episodes of the of this story, they portray smoking as something that is going to relax him. Of course, you and I know that smoking doesn't relax you physiologically. So he can't smoke. And then she offer doesn't she offer him a sleeping pill? Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they're you know so he's so we're, we're so they sit down they have a little chat. 
he talks about his diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what overtension and overanxiety do to underconfidence. So, you know, the whole story is more about our fear of mental illness than anything else. Um, yes. in my, my opinion, and that's kind of the main threat. And, uh, right. So then at some point he looks out the window, right? Yep. And you just see something in the dark to begin with. It's right. just a shape, isn't it, on the end of the wing? Yes. Yes, that's right. And the, the, <laughs> the, the music's great here. I, I love in the Twilight Zone, the music is always eerie. The, the music always matches, uh, you know, what you're seeing really, really well. Yeah, the music in this was great. It was, it was just perfect. I absolutely loved it. And um, I, not so much in the remake. I know we're not talking about the remake yet. But, um, yeah, the, the music was really good. I... I don't know if this is the same music they use for other episodes or not. I have no idea. See, I don't. I mean, I, d- I don't own the Twilight Zone, you know, series. I, I do right. the Outer Limits for the reason I stated before. But, uh, no, it, it, it is terrific. Um, you know something's going to happen. Um, right. A, the, the, the thing, as he starts getting closer, you can see he's kind of like ape-like. You can't really see too much right. at the moment. But it does look like... A guy in one of the old uh, gorilla suits, you know. That right, he used to and he's stand- he seems to be totally unaffected by the wind. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just standing up straight. There's no, so that's kind of odd. That's uh, that actually is an uncanny part that I thought was kind of cool. Is like uh, he, this creature that's walking around out there isn't being subject to the forces of the of the plane. Mm. He's just walking around out there. <laughs> You're so like, he's got Whoa. magnet feet, ma- magnetic feet or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> Oh, uh, William Chanel, Robert Wilson. He he, he tells the stewardess, uh, no one believes him. There's nothing there. I love I, I love the fact every time that he, he goes to uh, say, well, look, it's there. No, it's gone again. You know. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and we get a lot of uh, hand on head uh, acting from William Shatner, don't we? Yeah, a lot of um, when he looks out, he has that open mouth, and he, you know, that. That was great, and he's sweaty. He gets sweaty instantly. Um, and the stewardess, he, you know, he calls her over a few times, and she's pretty courteous every time. She definitely earned her paycheck on this flight. <laughs> so, so she, like, offers him a glass of water or something. You know, calm down. Here's a glass of water. I always yeah. love that. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's going to do it, yeah. Yeah, that's going to solve my problem. But it's yeah. not going to do it because the thunderstorm um, it, outside it continues. Um, right. And, that, and that's when we get, the, yeah, you know, we get Excuse the build me. up to the reveal. You, you know, he, he starts playing with the curtain um, and the, the suspense starts building, doesn't it? Right. He yeah. wants to look out there again, right? Yeah. And um, I can't watch it now without, you know, mentally thinking about the John Lithgow version, the movie version, you know. Um, and I think I actually saw the movie version before I saw the, the okay. TV version. You know, I, I, I knew what the creature looked like. It's in all the books, you know, anything uh-huh. to do with science fiction, television or Twilight Zone. There's always the photo of, uh, uh, of the gremlin with William Shatner. Um, right. But yeah, he's playing with the curtain, the suspense builds, and you just know he's going to open that curtain. <laughs> and then yeah. he does, he, he, he pulls it back, and then you've got that face at <laughs> the yeah. window. Yeah. Now, now, I don't know why, I, I, I was watching it again today, and I, I don't know just what is so horrific about it. I don't know if it's the big lips the creature's got. I don't know if it's the scowl that its mouth is in. The fact that it's bl- black and white... I don't know if, you know, the rain is distorting him a bit on the window, but I think I think actually what it is is when when he pulls that curtain back and you see it the first time, it's not looking at him. It's like sort of like looking somewhere else. It, it was like it was expecting to see something else and then turns and looks at him, you know? Yeah, it's like trying to peer in the plane and it it looks like it's more curious than anything else, you know. It doesn't yeah. look malicious. I mean, it's scary, but yeah. And it's got tons of water streaming down its face, mm. and it doesn't seem to care. I mean, it, that was a pretty um, creepy scene. You know, I'd have to ask my husband, who, who just saw it for the first time as an adult person, if he finds it scary. But I did. That freaked my ass out when I was a kid. Yeah, and, and, and it, if you think that you were a kid 
in the 60s as well. Yeah. If you're watching that and, you know, th- this show was such a groundbreaking show. You didn't have stuff like this on television. You know? <laughs> yeah, I so, think it must have been shocking. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you have that cliche uh, image of, you know, mum and dad sat on, on, on the sofa watching television and the boy and the girl sat cross-legged in front of the TV staring at it, you know, and that face yeah. appears. Good God. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And it's the huge music sting, too. I mm. mean, it's just, you know, it really, it's an effective scene for sure. Yeah, yeah. And is that before, because I remember the creature starts trying to pull the plate off of, the cowling plate off the wing at the 10 minute mark. I know. No, no, that. no, it's before that. It's okay. before that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bill, Bill starts freaking out, and, uh, and, and of course, you know, he looks out, they look out, and it's gone again. Right. Um, at, at this point, he needs to know it's just sticking with him. Like, yeah, uh, it's messing with him. <laughs> He's just. I, why couldn't he have just said, "Oh, can I have a seat on the other side of the plane, yeah. or sort of just swap with your wife?" You know. Right. I, I told Ralph. I said, told my husband. I said, "She just tell her to look out the window and sit on the other side of her. She, she'd try to help you out at least, you know." But yeah, yeah, but then he he does something really weird. He tells her to get up and go tell the flight engineer about it. Yeah, that, that's just after that's just after he looks out again. He sees it again, and that's when you do see it. It's starting to pull the uh, the engine cowl back, isn't it? Right. So he starts talking, yeah, to Julie about gremlins, and mm-hmm. and, and says, "Can you go and get somebody?" <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then it's like, "No, no, no, come back! It's back! It's back! Hurry! There's a man out there! There's a man out right. there!" Um, but it's gone again. And th- that's when the stewardess. Oh, no, the flight engineer and the wife, they both come back. So the guy, the flight engineer starts trying to tell him to calm down and keep his voice down. Yeah, and they kind of, yeah, they're placating him, aren't they? They do, and then that's an awesome moment in the show when Shatner realizes that they are condescending to him, and he gets this total pissy look on his face, (laughs) and he's like, he's like, forget it, we'll just crash, I won't say another word. Like, he gets totally bitchy, (laughs) it's great. He sees it another time, um, and it kind of like flies away. It doesn't really fly away. It kind of like let goes, doesn't it? Right. It like bounces up. Yeah. yeah out of view. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then we get the sequence where he, he, he gets the gun. Again, th- this dates things so much that people can just have guns on board planes. Well, and not to mention the flight engineer, okay, he, give, he gives him a sedative. That's true, yeah. Having, having no idea what other medication or drink or drugs this man might have in his system, he gives him a sedative. That, was, that blew my mind. Yeah. Yes, and then Shatner doesn't take the pill, right? He spits it out. And yeah. then he, um, I couldn't tell who he was stealing the gun from. Was that supposed to be an air marshal or it, a cop? It, or? It's, it's never... It's never um, really referred to, is it? I mean, you see it in in the movie remake. You know, it's right. clear who who has that gun. But this gun, yeah, you just see a bit of an ankle or whatever, and and there's the gun. You know, yeah, it's just someone who's flying armed, I guess. Yeah, it's a cowboy. <laughs> it was a cowboy. It was Ted Nugent. No, it would have been a bigger gun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he he manages to get it without uh, you know disturbing the guy. He mm-hmm. takes it. He sits down. Um, he sees the creature again. Um. Now, he asks his wife to get him a glass of water. It's there. It's out there on, on the wing. He can see it. He turns to his wife. Why didn't he just say, look, now, it's on the wing? Right. You know? <laughs> uh, well, I think he'd already committed to his plan, and he wanted to get her out of danger because he was about to depressurize oh, yeah. the cabin. So he's, he's done um, asking for help. He has his, he has his plan. Yeah. <laughs> And he does. And again, I love the way it's just a handle. Now you've got, you know, all sort of security seals and brake glasses and stuff like this. A kid playing with that could have just opened that, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's that's one of the most effective things about this this episode that we haven't talked about is most people have a fear of being on a in a pressurized cabin on a plane. Mm. You know, I mean, that's the minute you saw that in the beginning few minutes, you have that that fear. It's Mm. it's, you know, um, so here you've got like essentially a quote, you know, crazy man here sitting there about to open the window and. Um, that's the, that's the main threat of the episode is like, what if some person goes, goes as an episode and puts us all at risk, right? Plus you could actually give that idea to somebody, you know? Right. Right. (laughs) I'm going to do that. I'm going to get on a plane and do that. Yeah. But he, he, he gets pulled out. We've got tons of panic. He gets pulled out of the plane almost totally. 
um, <laughs> and fires at the creature. Up, up until now, I mean, you, you, you know, we've got the face at the window, which, you know, looks terrific. But what do you think really of the creature when you see it in its entirety like this? Um, it looked a little silly to me. As you know, I make costumes. I'm a tailor for a living and it just looked like a suit. Um, but you know, again, we're talking about, you know, the early sixties and, um, you know, a TV budget. So no, uh, the creature itself was not too, um, impressive for me. He's better in close up, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. 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 But that's pretty much it. Um, you know, he fires, the thing goes away. Um, and we, we cut to him being carted off the plane. The plane has landed okay. He, he's carted off. They think he tried to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And then the camera sort of like pans round and we see... What is it that we see? Are that, is, it, is it dense? Is it scratches? Or what? I thought it was... Uh, now I'm getting confused because I just watched both of them. But it, it basically looks like a crumpled up plate. Like the mm. plate he was pulling out. It's pretty, cr- it's pretty severe damage. And you know what's funny? Both episodes that I'd seen before you and I, before you picked these, I remembered the ending different. I remembered the ending as the plane crashed. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, much darker ending because uh, in both, um, everybody's safe. Every, no one dies, right? But mm, in my right. my child memory of these, the plane crashed. And that's when you saw that the cowling plate had been, you know, tampered yeah. with. So that's a much scarier ending. <laughs> yeah, but do you think that's your, um, you know, the child you mixing two things up that you've seen and, you know, your child mind has combined the two, you know, it over the course be. of time? It must be. I don't know, but I was so, I, I mean, I had, we had to get to the end of both episodes for me to realize that everybody, like, everybody survives because in oh. my memory, they, the creature, you know, does tamper with the plane and it crashes. Or maybe you were just a morbid kid. You know. I guess so. I guess that's what we're discovering here. <laughs> All right. So that's it. That's the uh, that's the episode over. So we'll go into uh, behind the scenes on it. Do you know okay. anything about behind the scenes? Nothing. Okay. Um, do you know a guy by the name of Richard Matheson? I know he wrote the story for this and that he wrote I Am Legend and he wrote like 15 other episodes of The Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a very well-respected uh, science fiction writer. Um, yeah, and so this is based on a short story. He didn't write this for uh, the TV show. It was actually a short story that uh, they they made for it. Um, it was first published in a magazine called Alone. Uh, okay. I'm sorry, Alone by Night, 1961. So it actually came out two years before. Okay. Yeah, and uh, as as you said earlier, you know this um, this has been parodied and spoofed many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever see the third rock from the sun one? Oh my, I, okay, I saw that line in that, cause I didn't really watch third rock from the sun very much, but that line was awesome. That was <laughs> a very funny catch. And that's kind of, when you suggested this, that was the first thing I thought of was yeah. that line. That's uh, yeah. it's genius. It's absolute genius. Um, you said about the Saturday night live one, um, uh, William, Sh- I, I've never seen it, but William Shatner had a cameo on an episode of Muppets tonight. In 1996, uh, it was the Whoopi Goldberg episode, and he was bothered by a monster Muppet while riding on the plane, and he refers, <laughs> okay. you know, to to this story during that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the Saturday Night Live one was. Uh, I will. I will just say briefly. Whoever put it together paid a lot of attention because the wife has the same dress and haircut mm. and pearls. Like they really recreated the look of this original more than I would have thought they would have. And of course it features uh, Jude Law and then Pearl Jam is involved. So it's, yeah. it's, if anyone likes the this original and hasn't seen that SNL skit, it's pretty funny. It's pretty cute. Like you say, they went to an awful lot of trouble. I mean, it's like, what, 30 years or something after the fact. And how many mm-hmm. people in the audience will be able to realize how clever they were? Because it was quite a a loving nod to it, wasn't it? it? It really was. Yeah. Someone, someone or a couple people must have really loved this episode because they really did give it some TLC. It was pretty yeah. funny. Yeah. Right. The, the gremlin himself, he was played by, oh, this is a great name. This is one of my favorite Hollywood names, Nick Cravat. Okay. All right. That's almost like a spoof name, isn't it? That's like an right. Austin Powers type name, Nick Cravat. Um, he was an ex-circus performer, uh, stuntman and actor, and he, he would often work with Burt Lancaster. 
I see that. I'm looking at him now, a picture of him with very young Burt Lancaster. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was in a lot of uh, Burt's films. Okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, yeah let's... Uh, oh, and that wasn't his... That's his stage name. He was born with a different name, it looks like. Well, I should hope so, because... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Okay, right. The the, the Gremlins look, it was down to a guy by the name of William Tuttle. Uh, Now, he's a veteran of many, many fantasy designs. He he worked on Forbidden Planet. Uh, He worked on The Time Machine. Many Twilight Zone episodes. Um, He got an Oscar for doing The Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, which is a film we've got to cover at some point. That's a fantastic Mm. film. Okay. and he got an Oscar for that, but that was actually 17 years before makeup became an, an official Oscar category. Oh, really? But he did get an Oscar for it. Yeah. Okay. And his later work, he, he worked on Logan's Run and Young Frankenstein. Okay. But also, I, 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 I stumbled across this fact about him. He was the first husband to Donna Reed. Oh, okay. How many yeah. did she have? <laughs> well, you know, it's that era. There could have been quite a few. You know? <laughs> right. So that's it. That's all I've got for behind the scenes. And, of course, when we come to the end of that, we've got to go to the rating. So okay. What do you reckon? So I, are we doing the special effects rating or just like the overall, like what I think of this of this episode? No, it's the special effects. It's for Ooh. this 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 gremlin part uh, okay well i'm i now keep in mind i mean this is probably my age and my exposure but i just want to i'm gonna give it like a seven because um the face was great but the creature looked to me kind of silly mm-hmm. yeah um i think it's a classic moment you know with the face at the window but it's that suit it's the suit that i think really lets it down i, I i'm only going to give it a five Okay. okay, all right. Which gives it a six. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So that's our first one out of the way. So all right. we, we now fast forward uh, 20-odd years, and, and we're in the movie version. Um, right. And, of course, this segment was uh, uh, directed by George Mil- Miller of Mad Max fame. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, now we'll go into a clip. I, I'd just like to say before I play the clip, um, I haven't been able to find a, a decent quality speech section to use for this. So, okay. so the, the clip is actually from the climax of the sequence. So let's go ahead with it. In the film version, we're already up there. We're already flying through a, a violent thunderstorm. And uh, we find John Lithgow. Um, he's in the lavatory, isn't he? Trying to recover from a panic attack. Yeah, immediately. He's, he's, he's sweatier than even the Shatner version. He's instantly sweaty. He's panicking and he's popping pills. And he's locked in the bathroom of an airliner, of a, of a plane. Yeah. And the flight attendants are trying to coax him out to get him back mm-hmm. to his <laughs> seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and as this segment, I mean, as we say, it's only a segment from the films, so it doesn't have the luxury of the full episode of the TV series. So, you know, I guess that's why they start halfway through, basically. And, and, and it does follow the TV episode very, very closely, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was pretty different. I mean, the... Do you think? Yeah, I mean, first of all, he's already panicking... He doesn't have a wife with him at all. And just the, like, when he first sees the creature, he just starts screaming and everybody gets involved right away. So for me, even though it's the same premise that there's a creature that only he can see, there's a lot of differences, I thought. It was, the intensity was totally different, just right off, because I watched these back to back. So it, right. it was really, really different. I think that's what it is. I mean, you know, we're watching something that's 20 years apart and, if you're going to get an impact, 
maybe if you tried doing it as subdued and low-key as, you know, William Shanter's version, you know, a modern-day cinema audience wouldn't buy it. You well, know. and he certainly couldn't do that after, because isn't this the fourth segment in the film? I thought it was the third. Okay, well, it's one of the end ones, and, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't reel it back, probably, you know. Uh, it, maybe if it would have been the first um, segment, they could have done something more, like you say, low-key, but, yeah, it kind of starts out with a lot of that, intensity for sure yeah yeah and and he is john lithgow he he's just brilliantly twitchy (laughs) and and sweaty that that poor guy should not be on that plane that's right i i I feel more sympathy for the john lithgow one because he's just so so you know uh falling apart far more than william shanter's was He, he at least he was holding it together far more wasn't he yeah, and the when the, there's two stewardesses in this version that are trying to help him, uh, one of them is fairly sympathetic and kind, and the other finds him obnoxious. She's kind of rolling her eyes. But when they lead him back to his seat, when and when the segment opens, he's like babbling, like he's memorized all these statistics hmm. about how safe um, flying is, and he's he's like babbling. Though he's already making a scene on the plane. I mean, right away. There's there's absolutely no way would this ever be shown on an in-flight movie. Oh my gosh! This what was that other movie? Was it, was it Fearless with Jeff Bridges? Like That's that? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. No, it's not a very calming uh, version. So yeah, this is the fourth um, segment. It is the fourth. Isn't yeah, it? there's a oh, prologue. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. because we've got we, we, we've got the little capping at the end. Yep. Which yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so yeah. It, we go through a similar thing. Nobody believes him. Every time he looks out, he sees it. When they look, there's nothing there. Nobody believes him. And I used to go in and see this all the time. I used to, again, this is one of the things I used to time and go in and see, um, you know, this moment. Um, and it's not just the moment with the blind. It's it's the preparation before that. You've got a good two minutes yeah. of where he's like, you know, just trying to settle when he looks at the curtain and he sort of the blind and he sort of like touches it. And <laughs> it's terrific. George Miller is just such a fantastic director and he ups that suspense. He ratchets it up and up and up, doesn't he? Yeah. And I um did you recognize, I mean, when you first saw this, was that before George Miller was um, on your radar as a director? Oh, no. By the time this came out, we had already had Mad Max 1 and 2. So, you know, um, you know, George Miller to me was, you know, just a big directing hero of mine. Because when I saw clips of this, I didn't have that awareness. And I think if I had seen it today, having no idea, I might not have caught on to that it was George Miller, but, but knowing it was George Miller, there were so many things about it that, um, you know, that speak to his style. And part of that is, uh, that, you know, tension. He's really good at that in a film very much. So. Yeah. And even if you hadn't seen the original, you just know it's a matter of time before he opens that blind. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, and it, it, it notches up a bit more when the music starts and the music starts to build and he turns Mm -hmm. to the camera, doesn't he? He puffs up his pillow you know, he closes yeah. his eyes and the camera very, very slowly, it moves right the way up to him, doesn't it? Yeah. His big sweaty face. <laughs> and, yeah. And his eyes snap open and he turns around and opens that blind and there it is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Now, un- yeah. Unlike, unlike the original where it's sort of like looking somewhere and not quite at William Shanner, this one is staring at him and it's shaking its head <laughs> while looking at him as well. Yeah, and it's immediately, the music goes way up, and it, I don't know the film terminology, but they're jump cutting back and yeah. forth. I mean, it's just totally different than the first one, just yeah. a lot of intensity. Yeah, and um, you say about the jump cuts, John Lithgow snaps round, stares at the camera, and his eyes bulge. Yeah. Okay. A very bizarre effect, uh, where his eyes almost bulge out of his head. Um, yeah. Now, um, as I say, I, I, uh, George Miller, Mad Max, big fan of the first two. Um, have you seen the original Mad Max? Yes, it's my favorite of the four. Cool. Um, at the end, the, the the bad guy, the toe cutter on the motorbike, <laughs> when mm-hmm. when he's being chased by Max and he goes over the brow of that hill and there's the truck 
coming towards him. And in that instant, just before he gets creamed by the truck, his eyes bulge in exactly mm-hmm. the same way as this. It was actually mm-hmm. a prosthetic head with these like almost inflatable eyeballs which popped out, you see. And George Miller's using exactly the same trick, you know, like two or three years later. To <laughs> in this rather bizarre, surreal thing where John Lithgow's eyes for a fraction of a second almost pop out of his head. Yeah, it's pretty okay. I saw. I think I would have seen the third Mad Max first when it came out, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't know if they had a prosthetic head, but they did the eyes like right before something hits. I mean, that really scared me. That really scared me as a kid. Mm. And um, I'm looking at Toe Cutter's helmet right now. Uh, <laughs> the head, so with the, yeah, 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 right. <laughs> But um, that is a very effective and and like a horror movie type of an effect for sure. Hmm. Yeah, it was spooky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's it's a proper George Miller touch to do something like that. And, and as you say, the editing, the quick cuts and the editing, you know, he starts freaking out. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> this this plane needs to land. This man is a liability. <laughs> yeah, when he, I think this is the scene where they, the, okay, so the second he jumps up, the second he jumps up after the thing is right, its face is in the window, all of a sudden all these people are around him and they grab him. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that doesn't make sense. They're just right there. But I think at that point they wrestle him down. They literally, like, physically wrestle him. That's um, right, yeah. Which and I don't... What, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was no, just going to say it was very different. It was very uh, much more hands-on in this version. Yeah, you would have thought somebody would, like, have just sat on him now or... or, or got a couple of belts and tied him into his chair or something to subdue him. Um, but they don't. And, and here we see the guy with the gun. Um, and again, he did, did they say, uh, is he undercover cop or... No, at the very end, he says he's FAA. So I think ah, he was an go. air marshal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how uh, John Lithgow gets the gun in this one. He, he gets it from him. Uh, we'll... We'll go forward to where he shoots out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sucked out of the window, uh, held on by his legs. Um, panic inside big time in the plane. Now. Oh, yeah. People are, I mean, people would have been injured with how much they're flopping around and screaming. And there's a child. I mean, the, like I said, the intensity of this version is just way higher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's out on the wing. Um, far, far more realistic, of course, than, you know, the, uh, the one 20 years before because of technology, you know, and this is a movie. So it's far more realistic, him, him out on the wing there and being battered by all the rain and everything. Um, and he starts to, sh- <laughs> he starts to shoot at the, at the creature, which, like you say, with the first one, he kind of just like runs along the wing, doesn't he? Yeah, the creature in this one is, I actually really liked how the wing and the creature and the lightning are, it's much more violent um, outside. It's much more, quote, you know, realistic. Um, the creature, yeah, like he isn't getting blown off, but he's affected by the wind. Like his, he has like some kind of weird head tentacle thing They're going like on. dreadlocks yeah, sort of thing, aren't yeah. they, you know? And, yeah, and earlier, I, of course, when he was playing with the engine cow, you know, he gets hit by lightning and he does yeah. this little shaky little dance thing. You know, he he is a bizarre little creature, this one. Yeah, and the first time you see him, he gets hit by lightning right away. And it's a, I thought that looked really good. I mean, even by even today, um, that mm. effect was good, uh, and at least from what I could tell. It yeah. was very... My copy was really dark. Like, it's just hard to see. Um, yeah. I, I rented on the streaming service, but I just had her, trouble seeing. Right. Right. Well, it it runs up to him and chews off the barrel of his gun. Right. Now, I, I always thought it, it took a couple of fingers with him as well, but it doesn't. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's it just the barrel, isn't now. it? Yeah, right. And, and yeah. it's the way it shakes its head while it chews the barrel. It's just a fantastic Ooh. little quirky thing, this creature. Yeah, nasty. Yeah. yeah. Um, the engine makes this strange noise because, you know, it's just about to malfunction or whatever. And we get this excellent side-on shot of the gremlin's face. He sort of, like, turns in profile and peers down at the city as it yeah. realizes, you know, that, that it's coming into uh, land. Mm-hmm. And then it turns – I love this bit. It turns around to John Lithgow, um, grabs his face – so you don't know what he's going to do, and does this, you know, ah, 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 as it wags its finger at him, and then just drops off and flies away. 
Exactly. It kind of spirals up. I liked how it flew away. It jumps yeah. into the air and then it goes in like a spiral up into the clouds. That was pretty cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Waiting for the next plane. Yeah, there's no way they could have shown this on an airplane. There's no way. Oh my gosh. Right. I, okay, well, we, we, we go back down onto the ground. The, the, the police and the crew and the passengers, um, they all write Valentine off as insane. Um, but while he's being um, straight-jacketed off uh, in an ambulance, the uh, the maintenance crew arrives, and they, that's when they find the damage to the plane's engines uh, with the claw marks, don't they? Yeah, and you know we kind of forgot to mention with the first one that there's some at the at the end narration of the Shatner version, they kind of imply that even though Shatner's in a straitjacket, the fact that they've discovered the plate, uh, the, the cowling plate being torn up, that maybe he they're going to um, believe him you know which seems unlikely but okay and that's kind of the same ending here they they're discovering the damage and they're thinking oh my gosh something did happen so there's kind of an implication that the guy is not going to get locked up Um, yeah 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 yeah. you'd hope not it's not their fault no (laughs) okay right uh behind the scenes um looking into this i didn't realize there's no way he would have done it but they that they actually considered bringing william shantner back to to for the remake oh really okay well he would have been young enough i mean you know that would have been fine yeah but i don't think they could have afforded him because you know Uh by then you know we we were what into what star trek three was out i think the same year so you know he he was a big star by then and i maybe they just couldn't afford him yeah well uh i don't really know where john lithgow's career was at this point in his life what year was the twilight zone movie was it 86 yeah, it was it was about eighty five, eighty six, okay, something like that. Yeah, eighty three. Okay, nineteen eighty three. Oh blimey, yeah. Um, so no, he he wasn't a big star. Not 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 then. Mm-hmm. I think he had done Buckaroo Banzai by then. Okay, okay. Which is my favourite John Lithgow film. I I love him in Buckaroo Banzai. Okay. Yeah. So. Um so they, I didn't know that they wanted to get Shatner again, huh? Yeah, yeah, but they, but they went with John Lithgow, and and apparently he he's he's quite um, famous for for his preparation. He likes to prepare very meticulously, uh, you know, for his films. And he had worked out certain scenes in his airplane seat in conjunction with the um, um, malfunctioning lighting outside the window, you know. So he would he, he would. Um, you know, he would react to the flickering lights, you know, and he had timed that all out. But during filming, the crew member who was in charge of the lightning flashes would activate it too soon or too late <sighs> or too late. And it would throw off his timing. OK, oh. so apparently he, to begin with, he was quite annoyed by that. But he, he later came to value the experience um, uh, because it added to his anxious, fearful character. Uh, yeah, that because- makes perfect sense. It made him more edgy. Yeah, because he, he did look genuinely startled when mm-hmm. the lightning went off because he wasn't ready for it. You know? <laughs> yeah. He was all ready to act to the lightning, but then it went off early, and that, so that his reaction was actually genuine. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, the exterior footage of the aeroplane um, um, is actually um, footage from a film called Skyjack from 1972. Oh, Okay. Yeah, it's just footage from that, and they've added uh, storm effects around it. Man, now so I'm not remember. I'm not even remembering that. So I have to go look at a screenshot or watch it again. That's cool. That all right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe that was to keep costs down. You know, For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and and the original conception of the film uh, of the film's ending was that after the segments of each one had been completed, each character uh, would mix in with somebody from one of the other ones right okay right uh but this idea was uh mainly dropped but it, it does appear in this one as an epilogue as you've got dan Aykroyd's character right. the know. monster the werewolf or whatever he's yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and he puts on the credence clear water revival song uh, right which was also at the beginning of the film so it's a it's a it ends up as a bookend but apparently that was supposed to have happened all the way through as as a segment finished you would see somebody from one of the other ones which is kind of like there's a lot of horror anthologies that do that, um, you know. That we I just watched that one with uh, Peter. Um, oh God, no, I'm not Peter Cushing. I think they had the the train ride was leading. Uh, I can't even remember the name of it. Doctor Horror's House of Terror or something. Anyway, you, you, you know, 
What's that? Are you talking about the one on the train where they've got the man frozen in ice? No, no, no? That, uh, that's Horror Express. No, no it's, say, that's it's Horror an Express. anthology film with Peter Cushing. And the thing that ties the story together is that the men, men are taking a train ride with a mysterious stranger. And oh, that stranger, that's right. You've got the tarot with the tarot card. Yes. Peter Cushing uh, with the tarot yeah. card. So they, yeah, yeah, that's the one. I think that's Dr. Terror's House of Horror, I think. Yeah, but anyway, I think you're right. Yeah. Horror anthologies will do that. They'll have some kind of little, either, you know, some kind of element that's supposed to be tying these together. Yeah, it's a linking device, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. It's only the first, the pro, the, yeah, it's only this bookend that they do that, if I remember in the Twilight Zone movie. Okay. All right. Um, special effects wise, uh, it was headed up by Jim Danforth and, and David Allen, you know, uh, veterans of special effects, and Craig Reardon. Uh, did the gremlin apparently a uh, part of it was stop motion but for the life of me i can't see oh. where in that there's stop motion maybe it's the the little jig of joy he does when he gets hit by a lightning i don't know but uh it looks like a man in a suit and then a a, a full-size maybe you know animatronic head for you know that snarling look that it gives um at the end i don't know um if anyone on facebook knows uh just which bits of it are stop motion uh we'd like to know yeah. All right. Rating for you from this one, please, Kelly. Okay. I'm actually going to give it, um, I'm going to give it a seven because I, unlike the first one, the face, the face is not the best part. The best part is the, the way they show it outside. Um, I think they did a great job. The lightning, the storm. I thought, I thought that was great actually, but the face looks extremely rigid and like it's a, you know, it doesn't look like it's a living creature. Hmm. Um, I think it's far superior in every way. Uh, we're talking effects-wise now, uh, the creature. Uh, but that's not to take anything away from the original. I'm giving it an eight. Okay. So that gives it an average of seven and a half. All right. All right. So, so what was that? We got a six for the for the original and seven and a half for the remake. All right. All right. Okay. Well, that's it. Uh, that's the end of the episode. Um, thanks for your time today there, Kelly. Yes, and thank you, because I doubt I would have revisited The Twilight Zone at all if I didn't have it as an assignment. And I did have fun watching both of these, so thank okay. you. Excellent. I, th- I, th- I think I'll have you back sometime and we'll do an Outer Limits. Well, okay. We've been talking about Outer Limits, so um, maybe one from there. Actually, I've got a good, a good idea for one. I'll talk to you about that later. Okay? All right. Well, thanks today, and thanks to anybody out there who might be listening, and we'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's all, folks.